Welcome to this episode of Women to Women podcast series. Our guest today is Naomi Shah. She is an associate professor and the associate division chief academic affairs in the Department of Medicine, Division of Pulmonary Critical Care and Sleep Medicine. Dr. Shah is board certified in internal medicine, pulmonary critical care and sleep medicine. She completed her fellowship in pulmonary critical care and sleep at Yale University School of Medicine. During her fellowship, she also earned a master's in public health from the Yale School of Public Health. Dr. Shah's research has been focused on understanding the complex relationship between obstructive sleep apnea and cardiovascular diseases. She's actively funded by the NIH. Dr. Shah is also involved in many NHLBI funded cohort studies. Finally, Dr. Shah has completed a Master of Science in Healthcare Delivery Leadership at the Sinai Graduate School of Biomedical Sciences. Naomi, welcome to our podcast series. Hi, thanks for having me. For our audience, if you can start on what you do today, what is your job? It is pretty exciting and very impressive. Thank you. Yeah, no. Um, so I'm actually a physician by training. So I went to medical school and then I did a residency in internal medicine. And then when I and then when I was done with that, I went on to specialize in pulmonary critical care and sleep medicine. So that was a four-year fellowship, which then basically landed me a job in the field of being a lung doctor. And so technically I'm a lung doctor. I've also been trained in ICU or intensive care unit training. But at this point in my career, I do predominantly sleep medicine. I do sleep medicine, outpatient care, and then uh, sleep related research, and then some administrative jobs here at the hospital and in my division of pulmonary critical care at Mount Sinai in New York City. So you mentioned just hearing you, you know, you, you have a medical degree, and I'm sure you had undergrad before you got to the medical school, then you have a four-year fellowship. That just sounds so long. I'm sure it was long and very, very hard. Did you always want to do that? What were your ambitions growing up? What did you want to be? Yeah, it's really funny. I mean, I think, you know, as many Asian kids can relate, uh, especially South Asian kids growing up, I was the third child. So I was sort of this child that kind of knew what trouble looks like because my older siblings had gotten into it. And then I kind of knew that I didn't want it, what I should be doing, what I shouldn't be doing. So you pretty much, you know, what's right and wrong better than your older siblings. And I wasn't the last kid, so I wasn't spoiled as much. So I think my parents had sort of put this idea in my head that, you know, medicine is a great field. It's very noble, um, which it is. And it's um, something that I always remember just knowing that I wanted to be a doctor. So I don't think I ever entertained anything else, to be quite honest. And going in, did you know you would have to go into specialization and kind of the path won't be? you know, four or five years and done. Yeah, knowing I, I knew going in that it's a long path. It's typically four years of college, four years of med school, and then three years of residency for any basic training. So you're definitely doing looking at at least 11 years. And then the four years of fellowship that I did is, uh, you know, 15 years of training, basically. So it's a long path. Uh, I didn't know going in that I was going to be a long doctor. Um, but, you know, medical school was uh, was an interesting period in my life. I, I feel like it wasn't I was always sort of top of my game, straight A student. Med school, the first two years, I was dealing with some personal struggles. And so I didn't do as well in school as I would have, which would have probably landed me in a different uh, field that is more competitive. But again, it's not that I had thought this through, but because I knew that there were some fields that I just couldn't get into, internal medicine was a path that leaves a lot of doors open because you can then subspecialize in a lot of other areas depending on your liking. So yeah, no, going in, I didn't know this is what I was going to end up doing. I just knew I wanted to be a doctor and then the rest was... Uh, 
going to be determined as we went on. So two questions here. So why pulmonary? Like why that specialization? What pulled you towards that? Yeah, so critical care is really what pulled me. So it's a combined fellowships. You are a lung doctor, but you also take care of uh, really sick ICU patients. And in my initial draw to the field was the ICU care. It's a really great fast-paced environment where you make life or death decisions and you get really sick patients that are either going to unfortunately not do well or die, um, or you can really provide um, evidence-based care and can really change their path. So that's what I loved about it. And I love the high pace. I like making decisions you know, that are more fast-paced as opposed to my husband who does infectious disease where he really has to think things through for a long, long time. And then they kind of come up with an answer. That's not me. I want to do, you know, go, go, go. I'm kind of like um, in the opposite uh, situation as him. So I knew that that, that appealed to me. And then the fact that you can make such a big difference in someone's life, obviously, um, you know, life or death was the appeal when I chose the field and pulmonary is usually combined with critical care. So most people do those together because it's a combined uh, training. Now, looking back, was it worth it? All the training, all the years, all the work? Absolutely. I, I always tell my kids that it's never about the money or it's never about the prestige. For me, what I take from this field is this uh, is knowledge of this amazing human body, which is just, it's just beautiful in so many ways. And if I weren't a doctor, I don't think I would appreciate what our body does for us on a regular basis, right? And so the understanding and the appreciation that I got from being a physician, besides obviously helping other folks and my family and whoever I can impact, I just the appreciation of knowing how special uh, you know, uh, a human life is and how amazing our bodies are, what it's all about. And no, there are no regrets. So last year must have been really hectic for you, like with the pandemic, especially so many people having issues with their lungs, right? It, it really affected the lungs. Yes. How, how was this time? Like every hospital was crazy, but Mount Sinai being one of the biggest, I'm sure was crazier than most. How was last year for you? Yeah, I mean, I think like all of us last year was just, it was really, really tough. Right. I mean, so my husband was an infection is an infectious disease doctor. And so he was at the forefront clinically and I do mostly sleep medicine, as I had mentioned. So I, I don't do any pulmonary or critical care here at Sinai, but I was waiting for a deployment, which means that you can basically, you know, get called to, you know, go and take care of patients. But of course, he was there every day, I was uh, working very actively on COVID research. Um, and we had started a clinical trial in COVID patients. And so it was a very busy time from a work perspective. But also it was very hard, you know, because of the fact that I have young kids, and you know, I had to make sure that both of us, or at least one of us was going to come out okay through this, because at that point in April, or March, we didn't know what to expect. And there was a very good chance that one of us may, you know, not make it out of the pandemic if we were actually physically um, taking care of patients, which in my case didn't happen, but it looked like it was definitely going to happen. Uh, and then my husband, of course, took care of a lot of COVID patients um, through the entire pandemic. So it was definitely a tough time, but I don't think anyone was spared. It was all of us were in this together, unfortunately. So you also mentioned you have kids. Um, I know you have 12 year old twins. <laughs> Yes, yes. Being in medicine, it is a lot of time commitment, whether it be a fellowship or even the studies itself. 
How did you manage all that, that work-life balance or study-life balance happen? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm sure, as you know, having kids is uh, brings a whole new perspective on everything. So it was definitely hard. Um, I had just started a new job, and it was at a place where I was the first uh, full-time woman faculty that they were hiring in the division, so everybody else was a man. And I went uh, on bed rest 21 days into my first job. And so I don't think that I was looked, it wasn't a situation that was, you know, a great situation. And when I came back from maternity leave, it was uh, not very easy because, you know, you have to start a brand new job. But one of the things I think I did right was I didn't worry about um, spending money. So we didn't um, cut corners when it came to our health and our mental sanity and our sleep. And so we prioritized all of those things as best as we could. And we really, we had three nannies at the time. We had a full-time nanny that worked um, most four days of the week, another one who worked night, and then one who came Saturday morning for like four hours so that my husband and I could sleep in. And that was the only way we could get through. And it took a while to find that balance. But I think if you don't try to save, I'm not suggesting people not save money, but if you're not going to be really, really strict with your expenses, if you have no savings, it's okay, but it's important to get through that period. Make sure your marriage is sound because, you know, having twins and a full-time job can really impact with the little, you know, who's going to empty the dishwasher today. Oh, I did it yesterday. Like we didn't, we tried not to have those conversations and tried to hire help or get help from family um, as much as we could. And we actually had, were very blessed because we had my in-laws who were living with me for the first six months uh, and my mom who lived with me for a month. And this was all in addition. So you can imagine that there was a lot happening, but yeah, we, we survived. It was a little bit of a blur, but it was, it was worth it for sure. No, it's fair. You had twins. Hey, with one kid, I had an army. <laughs> so I can imagine with twins, it is hard. You're, you're getting for two infants at the same time. Not easy exactly. at all. Exactly. Yeah. So you mentioned family. So how, how was family growing up? How did you grow up? Yeah, so we're a very close family. We actually have an interesting uh, family structure because we were not sort of a typical, at least growing up, I knew that my family wasn't a typical Indian family. So my mom was divorced and my dad had lost his first wife to childbirth. So I have two half sisters um, and then I have a brother that is from my biological dad. So we have, we're four of us, we're very close, but two of them are my half sisters, which to me, they're like my full sisters. But you know, so growing up, we had a lot of interesting, you know, things happen, because you know, it was it was this sort of mixed family dynamic in India, it was a blessing just to have a big family. It's just great. It's great to have siblings and people that, you know, truly are going to be there and not that friends aren't, but there's just something special about a brother and a sister. Yeah, absolutely. Nothing can replace family. Exactly. So growing up, clearly you said you were a straight A student. So you were focused on studies. Um, you had a solid family. Did you have friends? And at what point did you start networking in formally or informal ways? Yeah, that's a really good question. I did have friends growing up. I was best friends with a girl who I'm still friends to this day. And we had a group of friends, obviously in school, you're, you're so little that it's not something that, you know, you change so much. Right. But yeah, my motto with friends has always been that I never needed to be the most popular person, never needed a big army of friends. I didn't need 15 different events happening in a month. I really try to have friends that are going to keep me honest. that are going to be, you know, challenge me and tell me if I'm wrong. And I'm looking for close uh, and deep relationships as opposed to, and, and there's usually that by default means they're fewer than a lot of superficial relationships, you know. So I've always had a few people in my life that 
are always there for me. Uh, but because I have such a big family and my siblings are have sort of been my friends, they they also play a big role in, in that. And in terms of networking, obviously I do that for work, but not necessarily for, for friendship. And did you have any mentors? So did you seek out any mentors along the way? I definitely have mentors for my career. And because, you know, part of the one of the grants I have is requires mentors. So you, you do need mentors, but it, mostly my mentors are, have been role models. Like, uh, I, like my dad, I think he's been a, almost a mentor to me most of my life. My sister, my oldest sister and my husband, you know, he's been a, a great support system, but also a mentor in a way that I feel like we both are to each other. So it sounds funny, but he's really my best friend and, and a mentor in times when I need somebody to tell me sort of what looks like a good direction to go and what looks like not so good direction to go. No, I agree. Same here with me because he's the only one who dares to tell me what's black and what's white. Exactly. exactly. Everybody has sugar coats and clearly I don't get it the first time. Looking back, if you had to choose any other career apart from being a doctor, what would that have been? I think I would probably have been in politics. <laughs> I think I the last four years has really taught me that if, if I wasn't going to be a doctor, I would have wanted to, to be in the office somewhere to make a change in the lives of millions of people that, you know, I felt just felt helpless, right? The last four years were pretty tough. Four years of the administration. Obviously, there are folks that do right and do wrong. I'm not, this is really not about any specific party, but it's just that in order to bring change, it was very clear that you need to be in a position where you could make some of those changes at a higher level. So yeah, that probably would be the... Do you have any role models that you look up to? Yeah, I have many role models. For me, my biggest role model growing up, as I mentioned, is my dad. Um, you know, he's really a very honest human being, uh, has a lot of integrity, a very hard worker, and is, has really taught me one of the most important lessons that I value as a woman, uh, which is ambition, teaching me that I can dream big and that's okay. You know, and I think for women, that's so important and very, very few times you have people like that in your life. So he's definitely been a huge role model. Um, I think that growing up in India, the sort of concept of nonviolence and, you know, Gandhi and some of the things that he's really, he's lived his life and his legacy is about this sort of calm, patient person, even in the face of really some of the most disturbing events. And, and, and so that he's another person that I really look up to, because I think that anytime I'm in a situation, I, I think of, you know, how he was able to create a path and an important path of change for our country with such little ask and calm and, and very positive. And obviously, nonviolence was his biggest uh, driver. Doesn't apply directly, but in so many ways, it does. No, it does. It gives you a different perspective. Point given the challenges he had. Yes on the scale, you know, much smaller challenges. Exactly. We can't, I can't complain. And so, yeah, just keep pushing forward like he did. So you mentioned ambition. Ambition is a great value to look up to. But a lot of times it's perceived as aggression um, when it comes in women. Have you ever faced such challenges or any other challenges? How much time do you have? <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> I mean, the answer is all the time. I mean, it's just, unbelievable how many times growing up I mean so you know I, I'm older now but when I was younger you don't know that what you're thinking has value you a don't speak up and b you're not really allowed or you're not in a situation where there are too many people who look like you right so not just being a woman but a woman of color or a minority woman so it's it's definitely something that we as women know but yeah I mean I've been told every single time I try to do or think something I've all the first reaction is always you're crazy or why and and yeah you just have to keep pushing yourself and an example of that is when I was in residency 
as I had mentioned, my med school years weren't my strongest years. So the residency program I, I placed in wasn't at the top in terms of residency programs in the country, but I had already gained my positive and my perspective in the way that I was by the time I finished residency. So I was back to being my old self and I was like, okay, we'll have to dream big. And so I told my husband that I think I want to apply to, you know, a pretty big Ivy League school for a residence uh, for fellowship. And, you know, he's always supportive, but folks around me were like, why would you even say that out loud? Like, you shouldn't say that because what if you don't get in? And I said, well, if I don't get in, I don't get in, but that's where I'm applying and I'm going to try to get in. And God willing, we got in both my husband and I. And that was, you know, a moment where I realized that, you know, you shouldn't be afraid to mention a, you're ambitious, but also for others to really realize that that they can too voice whatever it is that they're feeling, if it is ambition or if it's any other equivalent element like ambition. I think it's important for women, especially to see role models that are ambitious and are not afraid to, to tell people what their ambitions are, because often we have them, but we don't want to share them because what if we don't make it? What if we don't get that? Even if one girl hears me saying that, she, that I am ambitious in, in X, Y, or Z, it may at least show her that even if I don't get there, she could, right? And so I think speaking up is really important, not just being ambitious, but even demonstrating ambition as a woman is important for others, for other girls and women who may not be as vocal to say, it's okay if I don't get there, but I'm still going to speak uh, my mind, speak what's on my mind. And if it's ambition, then it's ambition. You mentioned earlier years of med school, you weren't at a great place. Place. But then you bounced back. Yes. How did you bounce back? What helped you come back into your own group? Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, you know, I think that it was just persistent. I knew I had it in me. I knew that I was always, you know, capable of whatever it is that I put my mind to. And ultimately, it's hard work. And so I think the combination of those things really helped me get through that time, but also sometimes the circumstances. So, you know, I look at everything as last half full. I didn't do as well in that school as I would have wanted. But that landed me into a residency program where I was able to rise quickly to the top, which I don't think would have happened if I were in a very, very big program. And so I was, um, you know, within a year, I was pretty much out of the slump of, you know, the med school years. And then as by the second year of my residency, I was um, selected to be the chief resident, which is basically the top four or five residents out of a group of you know 30 are selected. And so that to me was important. And it was an affirmation that, you know, that I was able to prove myself again. But I don't know if I would have gotten that if I were in a different program, right? Because I would be in competing with much more, many more people, and maybe I wouldn't have. And not that the people I worked with weren't smart or anything. It's just the way the program was set up. So I think that, you know, looking at everything as a glass half full is always a good way to do it. Why am I here? There must have been a purpose. I'm here because this is how it helped me. And it did help me because, you know, the program I ended up in after my residency, most of the people that I was working with were prior chief residents. I think everything happens for a reason. I do truly believe that. And I try to make sense of every single thing as opposed to complaining about it or regretting it, just embracing it and finding the good in whatever situation I'm in. Because there's always something good, no matter how bad the situation looks you know, at least 90% of the times I try to really find what that good is. And I think that's what got me through that period. So someone who's maybe in college or in school and not at their best right now, and they're thinking, oh my God, like I'm slipping, what would your advice be? What should they look up to? Or what should they aspire to so they can actually get out and be themselves and get the jumpstart they need? Yeah, I think one of the biggest things is for them, the fact that they're already realizing that they're not 
what they are capable of being. I think the biggest limitation is not knowing what your weaknesses are and not knowing what your strengths are. And so if you can understand that, okay, my weakness is that, you know, this is not my strength, this class that I'm taking or whatever it is that you're doing. If you can recognize that there's a problem, then you can fix it. A lot of times I think people don't see the problem until it's too late. So always being very, very aware. So self-awareness is very important and identifying what your strengths and your weaknesses are, because then you can work on fixing those weaknesses. And the weaknesses can be academic or it can be in other areas. Like you don't know how to set boundaries and your time gets spent in doing a lot of other people's tasks. And so that could be affecting your grades, right? So really, and when I say weaknesses, I'm talking things that are beyond just the curriculum or academia or grade. But once you can do that, you identify what the problem is, then you'll see that the other aspects are are better. So that would be my advice to them is really understand who you are, what your strengths are and what your weaknesses are. And that usually will help you fix the problem that's causing you to be to feel like you're holding yourself back. So one of the things we always discuss is, you know, feedback. Women don't take feedback very well, or they take time to really digest it. And in that time, the person who is given the feedback is like kind of wondering, did they feel bad about it? So sometimes it's hard to get candid feedback, even from people close to you. So in your experience, or from what you have seen, based on any feedback you have given to other women working for you, what is the best way to give feedback? And what is the best way to take feedback? Yeah, that's a really, really good question. Um, Feedback is so important. And a lot of times, I don't think we ask enough, we ask for enough feedback. I completely agree with you. Um, That's always been my style, no matter what position I'm in, I'm always looking for feedback. And every time I meet my boss, you can even ask him, I will ask him, can I be doing things differently? Or or can I be doing things in a better way? Do you have any feedback? Um, And I think when you ask, you open the door for the other person to give you constructive criticism. So definitely do that. In terms of giving feedback, I'd like to think I have a, a high EQ. And so I don't always give feedback if I know that the other person isn't going to take it well. It's not a strength of mine. I have to work on still being honest, but I I don't tend to give feedback if I know that this person isn't going to take it well, unless my job requires me to do that. But I, I try my best to still give feedback in a constructive way. But you know, like everybody else, I struggle with the concept of somebody not liking me, right? So if I'm if I have to give really tough feedback, then it means that they're not going to like me. And so I have to be okay with that. And I'm trying my best to get there, but I'm not there yet. So I still worry about, oh, if I say this, I know this person's not going to really be happy with me. But again, if it's part of my job, I do it. If it's not, then I won't. (laughs) I'm working on it though. We're all work in progress. Uh, One of my mentors had told me when I was a new manager for the first time many years ago, that you don't have to be nice. You be kind. You don't have to show that you're a fun manager. That's not the point. You have to show that you're a vested manager. So a lot of times we as women hold ourselves back or we're trying to please some other perception of what we need to be projecting rather than what our job requires or what the situation needs. Yes, yes. And and we've been trained to be, you know, caring and nurturing. And, and those are all qualities that sort of are elements of people who are nice, right? So if you are nice, you're caring, you're nurturing, you're not going to give bad feedback to someone, right? So, <laughs> but yeah, I agree. I think in order to be an effective leader, you have to sometimes give feedback that's not great. And you, you can't always be nice. And I agree with you that being kind and empathetic is, is an important part of who we all are. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's hard sometimes, especially you know, again, as women, because you are perceived in a, in a way that's different than men, 
when you do give very constructive uh, criticism. And, and, you know, I've been called aggressive. I've been called many such terms. And, and those are just reminders that I don't want to be called that. Right. So you sort of cut back on being who you truly are. Are there areas where you think tend to hold back, get too defensive? What are a couple of things that you see very evident in the behavior that women show versus what men show? Yeah, I mean, I think that the most important one is not asking for a seat at the table. Right. So I think that our asks tend to be very polite, whereas I see that men are very, very confident in what they ask. I think that's the biggest drawback of what I think women, at least in in my in my in the workplace a lot of women talk about a lot of issues but very few bring it to the forefront right so my number one rule in the office is no gossip i don't engage in gossip i don't think that that serves a purpose and i i really try my best to uh, distance myself from people that gossip because i think what gossip does is just brings the overall morale of the entire team down and it doesn't really or it rarely leads to a positive change in either the culture of the workplace or the very thing that you're trying to address. So instead, I try to take a much more direct approach. And so I will either talk to the person that, you know, I feel like there's a problem with or try to bring a system-wide or a structural change with, you know, involving leadership. I'm not saying that only women gossip, but in my experience, and maybe it's because men don't involve me in their gossip because I'm a woman, but I do tend to think that, you know, we we talk a lot about the problem, but I think a lot of us are afraid to bring it to the forefront. And usually I'm that person who will take that risk, you know, and say that, okay, if, if this is truly a problem, someone needs to speak up instead of just talking about it. So I think we need to work on that and I need to work on that. And all of us need to make sure that we feel comfortable and confident to go up and say something instead of just talking about it amongst ourselves. Do you think women support other women enough? I see that, you know, we, we don't support each other enough. And at least what I try to teach my children is that, you know, if someone gets something, it wasn't yours to begin with. And so you should really never feel that, oh, look, they got something and I didn't. You should always feel happy for them because it doesn't change where you are or what happens to you. So, you know, being encouraging, supporting, and truly happy for someone even if they got something that you wanted really, really badly, is the most important thing we can do as women. We need to support other women. We need to lift each other up as opposed to keep pulling each other down. And I think part of the problem is there are fewer seats at the top, right? So if there's only 10% of us who are going to be represented at the top level, you know, there's only 10 seats, right? So we fight each other off. Instead, I think we need to work towards figuring out how we can get 50% of those seats so we don't have to fight each other. And I don't know if we fight each other for that or if that's what happens, but I do think that there's a component of that, that we know that there are very few seats at the top. So if you get it, then I won't. And so a lot of that could potentially be driving that. But I do agree that, you know, I, I personally feel we don't support each other as much as we should. Make the pie bigger and also make the piece of the pie bigger. Exactly. And and let's be happy for each other, even if it means you got something that I didn't, because, hey, you're a woman. And if you got it, that's great. That's great for all of us. Representation is important. Exactly. Exactly. And now speaking of pizza, I remember. So you cook. That's one of your passions. Yes. <laughs> so let's talk about that. So okay. what do you cook? What do you love cooking? And how how do you cook? Is that like a follow the recipe kind of cooking? Or is it just, you know, go with the flow? <laughs> Yeah, definitely not follow the recipe. I cannot follow recipes. I cannot bake. I cook a lot of things that are, you know, my family love to eat and I love to eat. I'm very big on eating healthy and eating food that's made at home or from scratch. So, you know, just trying to limit processed foods and 
and things like that. And we're vegetarian, so that limits our options outside the house. And and recently, we're trying to avoid a lot of cheese that's made with, uh, you know, animal um, rennet and stuff like that. So it's really changed how we're all eating as a family. Uh, but yeah, I like to cook everything. I cook Indian food. I cook in, within the Indian cooking. There's uh, Punjabi foods. There's uh, Gujarati. There's South Indian. So I cook a lot of those things. And then I also like to cook a lot of Italian food because my son loves it. Yeah. So I mean, I do I do my best. We have uh, we also love eating pizza. So I make a lot of pizzas. Oh my god! I just need your address. Is any good? <laughs> I just show up on the doorstep. Ring the bell. I was in the area. So near me. What are you cooking today? You're welcome anytime. You're such a fabulous host, and it's been great getting to know you. That I would be honored to cook for you. Thank you. So, in closing, any comments for aspiring uh, women who want to be in your field and someday close to where you are today? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I hope that they get ahead of where I am because that's always my my hope is that um, I think the main thing is you know keep be true to yourself try really hard to not let anybody bring you down if you truly think something if you have an idea from that's yours or if you have a big ask out of life um, go for it and and don't let anyone tell you that you can't do it but the most important thing is really be who you are don't try to be someone you're not. And if you are true to yourself, um, you will achieve something that you were meant for. And of course, persistence and hard work is extremely important. And thank you so much for your time, Naomi. It was awesome talking to you. Really appreciate the time and all the advice. Of course, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me.